Hello, welcome to The Quest. My name is Alan Mohan. This is the Crisis of Our Time, Part 7. Firstly, an announcement. The Spanish podcasts have now reached two episodes. Our team is very pleased how they're going, and I would ask you to recommend it to any Spanish-speaking friends you may know. I have described the multidimensional nature of the evolving world crises of the 21st century, referring to them as horsemen of the apocalypse. These include, if you remember, the economic, for example, increasing inequality, absolute poverty, the halting of globalisation, stagnant world productivity, the threatened collapse of the European Union, and the emerging Great Depression, which I believe has already started. Secondly, the financial banking crisis, tremendous debts of countries, corporations and individuals, for example, only postponed by vast money creations kicking their can down the road and leading to an even greater crisis in the future. Thirdly, the political, increasing extremes and radicalism, differences between and within nations, conflict of superpowers. The social, breakdown of families and the relationship between genders, race relations, women's rights, minority issues, social justice. The climatic, fifthly, although the science has become increasingly evident since the 1970s, the forces of denial have been overwhelming. Despite the talk and concern, the climate emergency continues inexorably. Sixthly, the military, the movement towards extensive wars across the globe with enormous dangers of nuclear conflict. Seventhly, the conflict of ideas, economic, political, religious, gender stereotyping, sexuality, the trans issue, competing worldviews, even alternative views of the nature of the cosmos, the great conflict of ideas. Eighthly, the technological, for example, alterations of human nature as it becomes fused with artificial intelligence. This is accelerating, especially with the current health emergencies of 2020 where digital means of communication and artificial intelligence have increasingly been adopted. Nightly, the pandemic, the current emergency has delivered a huge blow to the widespread, and now we realise seriously misplaced, confidence that human science and ingenuity can outwit nature permanently. We are very much subject to nature, not vice versa. But what we have is a health crisis, not only of ourselves, but of our planet. And tenthly, the spiritual. The emergence of a renewed spiritual worldview out of the current vacuum, distinct from the repressive and divisive aspects of traditional religions, but inclusive of the great spiritual and wisdom traditions, is essential for the survival of our species. A few methodological points. By which I mean how one should approach such a complex, multidimensional array. In some ways, it was always thus. These dimensions were always operative throughout history. It's just that they are now so much larger and more dangerous. History has always moved between great opposites of creative and destructive processes. Movements from one extreme to another. Just take an arc of European history. The collapse of the Roman Empire followed by the Dark Ages, and then by the Christian-dominated Middle Ages, then by a materialist and scientific enlightenment, followed by capitalism. Hegel's view of thesis and antithesis is a good model for the dialectic of history 
and its movement between opposites, and their emergence into a new synthesis. You may refer to Arnold Toynbee's study of history for a powerful argument for the rise and fall of civilizations, which manifest through their capacity to provide responses to challenges. These challenges need to be of sufficient intensity to evoke the best from that civilization, but not so as to overwhelm it. As these civilizations provide creative responses to these challenges and threats, they grow. When they fail to do so, they either stagnate, decline, or become extinct. We should view these dimensions, 10 just mentioned, in a systemic manner, that is, as a fast-moving, dynamic, evolving, interactive system. For those who want to do more reading on this, please refer to Fritjof Capra's latest book, The System's View of Life. In a recent podcast outlining a roadmap of the evolving world crises, I stress that the underlying fissures in the world system that have been developing for some decades would become apparent with the current crises. For example, I've pointed to the potential breakup of the euro currency and the European Union, but also of the growing inequalities in the global system, social inequalities and civil disturbances on a mass scale as the economic and political container that has bound a society together now cracks, revealing its underlying fissures, these cracks in the system that lie underneath. We are already witnessing the interacting variables of economy and health with the pandemic crisis, detonating an economic crisis of great magnitude. I say detonating because it was the end of the long boom by 2019 anyway. I also argue strongly that a financial crisis will follow and this will push the world into a great global depression. The current speculative excesses on the stock exchange are harbingers of the collapse to come. And the vast money creations of central banks and governments have created enormous dangers for the world economy in terms of hyperinflation and a collapse of the financial system. With respect to social and economic crises and the fissures that lie underneath, Consider some of the problems in the United States. The American economy has had a halving of its annual total factor productivity growth since 2004. The United States' recovery after the 2008 credit crunch was highly unstable and unequally distributed in the population, with loose monetary policy required to sustain unremarkable and unequal growth rates that is unequal between the different states of America. Real average American wages in 2018, for example, had the same purchasing power as 40 years ago. Meanwhile, corporate debt has reached a record level of 45% of GDP. The national debt has ballooned in May 2020 to $25 trillion, nearly 120% of GDP. Much of its employment has become insecure and part-time. Traditional industries have declined, with whole cities facing bankruptcy and deterioration. Absolute poverty for many sections of the population has increased. Meanwhile, inequality of wealth and income has dramatically widened since the 1980s, with the top echelons becoming ever richer. This inequality, many people have suggested, is becoming intolerable. 
Heads of companies have ransacked their corporations for their own benefits. The financial elites have increased their power and wealth enormously. This has been backed by governments who have created trillions in new dollars that have fed the speculation on the stock exchanges and morally hazardous activities of the shadow banking system, allowing, among many other things, for corporations, for example, to borrow very cheap money, buy up their own shares and obscenely reward themselves for engaging in financial trickery. Stock exchanges have become seriously disconnected from the real economy, again encouraged and protected by governments, who continue to bail out the financial system with trillions of the nation's money. The gorging on the stock exchanges has created a vast chasm between government, on the one hand with its allies in the financial elite, some of whom are completely unproductive and parasitic, and the mass of the population on the other. All of this has become intensified in the pandemic crisis, since the mass of the population see themselves with little future. Governments have socialised most of the economy and the stock markets have reached new heights as the real economy plunges into a severe recession, to say the least. These features of American society do not have to be registered consciously by the participants of this drama, for most of the time it lies in the background unconsciously, like a cancer building up over time and which feeds off the poisonous environment, the politics of envy, hatred, crime, despair and anger on the one hand, and on the other, arrogance, denial and frustration. The fissures in the economic, social and political system, often reflecting the historical divisions and traumas in society that can go back generations and hundreds of years, break open into gaping wounds. We can therefore expect division between classes and races to intensify, especially when there is no leadership at the top to provide vision and guidance to the population. That is why I refer to these dimensions as horsemen of the apocalypse, which in Greek means unveiling or revealing. They reveal the structure beneath and expose the wounds of society. They also threaten the stagnation and even the termination of the civilization they're part of. I shall now reflect on another dimension, the spiritual crisis of our time. In my view, this is not just an individual experience, but it has to have a collective dimension that can be applied to our societies and civilizations, which have no genuine moral compass of their own. In the last podcast, I told the story of Isis and Osiris by way of a poem. The myth reflects the battle of light and dark forces within individuals and societies, and is an archetypal, that is a universal, illustration of this struggle. The dark forces of envy and malevolence almost win out, but it is the love of Isis and her struggle to bring about spiritual rebirth that leads to a new birth. Horus, the son of Isis and Osiris, who fights the malevolence embodied in Seth and wins so as to establish the basis of civilization. In other words, civilizations ultimately have to have this regenerative force, otherwise they relapse into barbarism, corruption, 
tyranny or anarchy. There are societies in today's world where all of these operate simultaneously. Invariably, such collapsed or degenerate states are the consequence of revenge and hatred embodied in certain ideologies, that is, in the realm of the conflict of ideas. However, I wish to start from the individual aspect of the spiritual dimension and show my own struggle for the light. The archetype of death and rebirth is the foundation for most, if not all, other spiritual archetypes. I've already mentioned my 2015 publication, The Sower and the Seed, which was an attempt to put into some form the experiences that I had in the previous few years that culminated in a near-death experience in the Atlas Mountains in North Africa. This book, The Sower and the Seed, was initially conceived as a slim volume, but grew to over 40 original illustrations done by Lindsay Harris, a sister Jungian analyst and artist. Numerous poems and a text ambitiously attempting an interpretation reflecting my limited means and experience of the origins, development and current dilemmas of human consciousness. It has six parts. Since I intend in this podcast to go over the last section of this book, I shall tell you briefly what the preceding sections were about. Part one explores the origins of consciousness from a mytho-psychological angle. The concept of immanence, a vast intelligence within the evolutionary process, is the underlying philosophy. Evolution as a creative destructive spirit manifests higher orders of complexity, life, intelligence, self-consciousness, and then dissolves them. Part two presents the human psyche immersed in nature and the realm of the Great Mother. The themes of fertility and power, applicable to all life forms, saturate the history of humanity, most evidently in this period stretching from 40,000 years ago up to the birth of civilizations. Part three shows the transition to patriarchal religious consciousness, whereby a violent separation from the world of nature, the Great Mother, takes place. These religions decisively altered world history and human consciousness, though at severe cost. Part four examines Hebrew, Egyptian and Greek creation myths as commentaries on the origins of consciousness and shows how the transition to consciousness from the unconscious, the birth of humanity, is inherently problematic since it creates a separation from the realm of nature and instinct. This rise of consciousness out of nature and its fall or separation into a separated ego state is its central dilemma. Part 5 The Enlightenment and Scientific Revolution, essential for capitalism to emerge, needed a special change in consciousness provided for by Protestantism. However, capitalism is destined to undermine all religions and replace them with a thoroughly materialist philosophy. As well as being a profoundly creative system, industrialisation is equally destructive and has, in recent times, produced enough weaponry to wipe out most, if not all, life on Earth. A death potential in consciousness is activated. It is suggested that humanity will undergo species trauma in the near future, that is, a trauma to its own species, and remaining populations face either fundamental reform 
or inevitable extinction. Capitalism also presents many changes in consciousness during the stages of its development, including the latest digital age where human consciousness is being fused with artificial intelligence. And part six, our focus today. No matter what the situation in the collective, the outside civilizational or societal structure, the path for individual progress and even for enlightenment is open to individuals. This final section, the quest, in the book presents a series of illustrations, poems and commentaries that show the search of the individual on the path of higher consciousness. The metaphor of the pilgrimage is used and shows essential psychological as well as spiritual steps on such a journey. This final part of the book consists of 13 chapters, each with a short text and poem. This podcast will go over the first three poems and commentaries upon them. Later podcasts will cover a selection of the remaining poems. By the use of this metaphor of the pilgrim's journey, I hope to show an archetypal structure for the path of illumination for the individual. Firstly, crises oblige us to re-examine our lives. In some cases, this means reappraising the values that underlie our society. We may even revalue the foundations of our spiritual life. The journey from one position to another is here presented as a pilgrimage, since it requires the leaving of the old self and searching for a transcendent source to our existence. Pilgrimages are natural spiritual phenomena and are used as a metaphor. The midlife crisis, described by Jung, is a crisis of meaning, occurring after earthly demands have been met, marriage, reproduction, economic security, and requires a search for deeper meaning. The increasing awareness of mortality occurs after the midlife. The response to the anguish of death is the emergence of the higher self, which may have been dormant up to this point, but is now triggered into awareness. A pilgrimage is a journey to facilitate this connection to the higher self. The poem illustrates a simple event, the midlife turning of a human being. Although in the security of land and home, although his trade is secure and his family have given him love, he gazes at the fire into his depths and contemplates his mortality and meaning. Many individuals, of course, have no such security and have to start from a far more painful position. But suffering is the fuel of the pilgrimage. Glimpsed in the starry sky is the image of the sower and the seed, a transcendent intuition into the nature of the cosmos and ourselves. Here is the first poem, The Midlife Turning. At the midlife turning, new compass may be sought. Even your magnetic pole may turn to south from north. Your trade has been determined. You've either lost or gained. Reproduction has long been settled. It seems life's played its game. The autumn leaves begin to fall. Summer blossoms done. The joys of spring no longer yours. Its seeds have flown and gone. The powers of natural healing 
now begin to fade. The body speeds towards its end. You pass from light to shade. A man within his garden sits. The night sky starred above. His family sleeps within the house, protected by his love. Life's tasks have been completed, success and failure mixed. The moon shines strong in night's deep womb. The soul awakens next. Now he ponders on his life. Darkling does he listen. The sky upon its axis swings. Beyond the tree moon glistens. The stars revolve above his head. In heart his fears rotate. What meaning does his life still have? What now will be his fate? He soft surrenders to the void. He looks up at the night. You're just a feather in the wind. Put your perspective right. You think you are the centre. So many plans you've made. A billion stars roll o'er his head. Illusions start to fade. Strong through the long night, pondered he. The moon passed across the sky. An intuition in him rose. Journey for you die. There's no more to accomplish. Withdraw from outer strife. Proceed upon a pilgrimage. Make real your inner life. Thus spoke a voice within him, as whispers in the breeze. He thought he saw an image in, the sky above the trees. The stars, they are a mirror. We all see what we need. Creation's force he dimly glimpsed, the sower and the seed. His soul fresh opened to the night, a melancholy sweet that held him bound within her spell as when lost lovers meet. The soul yearns strongly for her home. She flies to stars from earth, the mystery of the cosmos. She seeks her own rebirth. Know that you are from the stars, as well as from the earth. The cosmos is a mighty womb. To all it does give birth. Secondly, separation. The pilgrimage starts with the separation from the demands of everyday existence. The pilgrim leaves work, family, home and friends, everything familiar to him. He casts himself into risk and some danger to reach a goal which has no material value but is a purely spiritual inner potential. The ego, our everyday conscious mind, is, among other things, a repressive apparatus, enabling focus and concentration on a narrow range of the psyche, especially concerned with planning and thinking. This is what allowed early humanity, vulnerable creatures, to survive. But as well as instincts, the higher self is also filtered out or repressed. Spiritual consciousness requires that ego consciousness is no longer dominant. 
The ego is also the centre of our subjective sense of identity, the person I think I am, the apparent centre to my personality. This, symbolised by the pilgrim's home and work, needs to be left behind. It is not abandoned, but put aside temporarily, so that a deeper level of consciousness may be accessed. This stage is therefore a separation from the ego and the world, so as to give maximum chance for the emergence of the higher self. As separation takes place, feelings of previous separations may come to the surface, even the first of life, one's birth, with many of its powerful emotions. The final separation, death, is also constellated in the unconscious of the pilgrim. Awareness may emerge of a longing to heal the fundamental separation that lies in ourselves, that of our separated ego being, which longs for unity with a transcendent self. Here is the poem on separation. At dawn upon the rising sun, the pilgrim steps aboard. A ship at anchor gently rocks, its cargo is fast stored. The pilgrim on the deck looks out, the night sky softly dies. His family, anxious, wave him on, tears puzzled in their eyes. Separation is an anguish that haunts us birth to death. Yet for the quest it is required, so we can find new breath. Our mental state needs now to clear. Detachment first we need. If we're to find our centre, the ego must recede. This ego has attachments. It seems they make our life. The family is the matrix for joy and for our strife. There's love for those most near us, anxiety for their fate. This is normal in us all, yet we must separate. The ship at ebb tide, anchors raised, the flags in winds high flutter. Before her lies the open sea, behind her is life's clutter. The pilgrim with the captain sails, a friend long from the past. For many he's a hero, whose weathered storm sees blast. Sails are set to distant isles, where mountains touched the sky. Since ancient times, a pilgrimage, some in their heights have died. His family watch him from the quay, for good ship now they pray. A shape, a mist, a dot they whist. Into the light it fades. Now leave behind the life you've known, its happiness and woes. Your ship is poised, the anchor's raised, out with the tide you go. Our third stage is storm at sea. As Pilgrim leaves behind worldly connections, he is more at risk. His support system diminishes and he is exposed. The storm poem represents these changes with the captain of the ship an heroic ego symbol, being the guide we hope to see us through the coming dangers. He represents the parts of the psyche that we have 
traditionally relied upon, our ego strength and valuable character traits, perhaps courage, intelligence or determination. But at some point a crisis is reached when we feel stripped of our traditional defences and strengths. Many people are struck by the storms of life, traumas and tragedies, perhaps death of loved ones or illness, betrayals and abandonment, the injustices of life. For some people, their very birth or interuterine experience may be a trauma which shapes them forever. Their life is a continual storm. Others may have physical or mental illnesses that compromise the quality of life. One may ask, like Job in the Old Testament, if there is any meaning in such apparent cruelty and suffering. It is hard to contemplate that sometimes there is no meaning in the cause of suffering. But there is moral, psychological and spiritual consequence of suffering. Here we present it as a stripping away of the upper layers of personality and a bypassing of the ego, beneath which is the deeper self. The crisis reveals the structure beneath. Here is the poem on the storm. Three nights upon their voyage, the pilgrim sharped from sleep. Dreadful winds engulfed the ship, the waves rose from the deep. The captain at the helm stood firm, the crew were strapped to mast. The wind cried fierce, a banshee's wail, this storm would be his last. Fast through the tempest, terror struck, a raging gale from hell. A bird inside a hurricane, the vessel gasped and fell. Storm lashed on the open sea, the stinging blast now roared. The captain rode the ocean surge, the waves like mountains soared. The crew now prayed to God above for mercy from that storm. They cried forgiveness for their sins, some wished they were not born. Colder grew the night and wild, the gale still ran its course. The bell it tolled, Lord save our souls, the wind fresh gathered force. Dark through the night the tempest screamed, the ship it still held bold. The waters poured in torrents through decks into the hold. She whistled by the rock's sharp teeth, sheeted like a ghost. A lighthouse shrieked its warning, guns fired along the coast. She shuddered like a terrored sheep, the wolf fell on her neck. The gale it howled and seemed to seek the captain on the deck. He stood amazed against the helm, the waters round him roared. A whooping billow dashed him then, stone dead against the boards. When storm had ceased, the pilgrim rose, thanked God to be alive. Many of that gallant crew with their brave master died. Despite the pain and anguish, a voice rose from his chest, consigned the captain to the waves, continue with the quest. Prepare yourself for life's cruel blows, for shipwreck and for storm. There is a light within you. It's there since you were born. <laughs>